swing and a line drive left field. Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did. He got it. Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. Three two. have won the world championship welcome to benny and the bets podcast can you believe it here's your host terry cushman hello everyone and welcome to a special edition of the Benny and the bets podcast I don't know if you want to call it a, a bonus segment or what have you uh, as a lot of you know especially if you follow us on social media we have been in the process of searching for a new permanent co-host. Al Nahigian has uh, decided to move on uh, to pursue other endeavors, though he may uh, come on to the show at various points next season, uh, you know, to kind of fill in uh, in a guest role. But Al is no longer with us, and I would say probably about a month ago we started uh, reaching out to possible uh, candidates to fill in that uh, permanent spot. And I think about 40 people inquired. Uh, we sent a questionnaire out to them and probably 20, 25 of them came back. And then we picked uh, nine of them uh, that we um, would go on to interview. And it was a very uh, interesting group. We had uh, someone who uh, is basically uh, on-air talent from WEEI that was involved, uh, you know, in the process. There was also an MLB Network employee who works in their research department, I guess you could call it. So a very interesting group. And uh, when all was said and done, Job Goddard was the last man standing. Uh, the final round of interviews was last night. And uh, it was a collaborative, uh, you know, decision on the part of myself, uh, Jason, Charlie, Andrew. And uh, this morning it became official. So, Job, how are you? I'm doing great, Terry. How are you? Not too bad. So you're no stranger to podcasting. You you know you have other shows you do on the side. I do. Yeah, I actually I, I run my own podcast called Source Podcast. Um, you know, we try to be the source of sports news. Uh, we do all sports. It's not a team specific thing. Um, with my co-host out of New York. Uh, but I'm excited to get back to really you know the roots of my fandom, uh, and that's the Sox. So I'm excited to. You know, be working with you and the guys, and hopefully put together some interesting content for the listeners. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie. You know, people who do follow us on social media know I love to thump my chest whenever the podcast, you know, continues to take steps forward. And um, we're probably the fastest up and coming Red Sox podcast. I love to jab, you know, the Section 10 guys as much as we can. You know, we're the little dog in that fight, but that's not a role that uh, I shy away from. 
but yeah, but we're all extremely passionate uh, Sox fans. The show has evolved, and I expect the 2021 season to um, you know be an even bigger leap forward. So we're we're certainly glad to to have you with us. And as you could tell by the group chat earlier, it's uh, pretty lively and uh, a, a definitely. Uh, quite the collection of personalities uh for sure um i'm definitely looking forward to uh to fitting right in i i'll slot right in and have some good debates with the guys i'm excited for it i'm pretty excited to be engaging on social media with all the listeners so they're free to follow me there uh as well um but really i'm excited for hopefully a better season of baseball this year than we had last year oh yeah just having like you know not having fans in the crowd like really messed with me you know what i mean and i just want normalcy back you know it's just yeah no i get that it's just crazy what you take for granted in life and you know i think uh for me it was pretty much the home games at fenway was like so different i mean on the road you don't notice it so much you know especially you know you play in baltimore that happens all the time right you you see empty seats in the fan you know empty seats in the stands you don't see that at fenway uh, and for me, seeing those red seats, not even cardboard cutout, just the red seats behind home plate was just astounding. Uh, it shook me a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and it was tough to really get into a rhythm of the season. So I guess if you're going to have a lost season, this, that was the season to have it. Um, but hopefully we'll take a couple of good steps forward here this off season uh, and get ready to run it back. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm getting Jay Hap crammed down my throat all day. And we had Matt Shoemaker last week. So hopefully... Uh... Hopefully there's something a little more exciting. Give me at least Jayco to Rizzi or something, you know? Yeah, so so for the listeners' sake, I'm going to just kind of give my take on where, where the team stands and, and what we need. I'm not necessarily a Heim Bloom guy. I made that clear in the group <laughs> chat with you, Terry, with the guys. But for the listeners' sake, I'm not really a Heim Bloom guy so far because you can be too smart for your own good, and that seems to be so far what the Red Sox look like they're doing. I'm out on J-Hap. This team needs pitching, pitching, and pitching. Uh, and Jay Happ really doesn't give you innings. Uh, he's old. He's unreliable. And when he does give you innings, there's no guarantee those are quality innings. So I'm out on Jay Happ. He's a worse version of Rick Porcello. Um, I don't think we're in the Bauer race at all. I wish we were. Um, but if we're not going to get Bauer, we, we need some solid arms. Give me a, a John Lester or a or Jake Odorizzi or I would love to see Liam Hendricks, you know, at the back end of that bullpen if we're comfortable you know, in quotation air, air quotations with our rotation. So, you know, the Red Sox need to make a splash, um, and Alex Cora is not the guy. You know, bringing Alex Cora back doesn't magically give us the 2016 or 2017 Red Sox. Um, we're in trouble if we don't make some changes. So, I'm looking forward to see kind of what this front office has up their sleeve. Yeah, I mean, this rotation, everybody in it has question marks. I mean. Nick Pavetta looked okay in a couple of starts, but he's been a guy who's never figured it out. And I think there maybe there could be some genius behind that acquisition, but until it's proven, huge question mark. I think Eduardo Rodriguez is going to come back. I'm not worried about the heart thing. That I'm sure he's going to be tested and all that, and they're going to do some follow-up testing just to make sure he's good. But I worry about the rust and the fact consistency has been an issue with him anyway. Nathan Avoldi, you know, just not not a great track record of consistency or health. So, 
you know, when, when we're getting hit with Jay Happ and all that, it's just it's really frustrating. And Bloom himself said, I I'm not even sure the season had quite ended yet, but he said emphatically he's gonna be aggressive looking for pitching this winter. And I don't like the aggression that I'm seeing. <laughs> Yeah, if you're aggressive in the wrong areas, the aggression doesn't matter, right? So a lot of what I'm seeing out of Bloom, I, I don't necessarily like, and it's too early to judge him as a GM yet. You know, we've only had one year of Heim Bloom. That's not fair to, you know, judge him yet. But it is fair to judge, you know, the actions that he's making right now. And the guys that he's chasing just, A, aren't big names. Um, B, they don't seem to have a lot of talent. That being said, I don't know, some of these prospects that he's getting, you know, the, the Jeter Downs of the world, um, they might turn into something, but the way that I view prospects, and I'm not like I think it's Chris that already is on the show is a big prospect guy. Um, I could be wrong, and it could be Andrew or somebody, one Andrew, of the other guys. Yeah, but I'm not him. really a I'm not really the big prospect guy. The prospects to me are all chips. You know, I'd like some of them to, to pan out and be you know hundreds pushing through the middle of the table. I want these prospects to be dealt, traded. Give me some some proven talent um, if it's there and available. I don't want to just stack up on guys who might be good down the road. Um, we don't really have depth in the farm system, and, and we don't really have talent on the big league roster that I think brings us to a championship. So I also don't want to be the Boston Celtics of baseball, right? I don't want to be good every year and not win not win any. That's just frustrating, and that's not what I'm looking for. Um, Terry, I actually had a question for you about the starting rotation. Um, I know that you think Valdi has some – some inconsistency issues. Would you keep him in the rotation, or or would you move him to to the bullpen? I I want to move him to the bullpen and give him the seventh inning. Uh, would be kind of my I, ideal scenario if we could get some pitching help. You know, I've talked about that in previous seasons, and I I just don't see him ever pitching much more than a hundred. 100 to 120 innings so to me that screams reliever with everything right now I don't know if we have the luxury of doing that because we're just so thin but you know in a in a perfect world with a very situated ball club I think he would play better as a reliever that's definitely uh, a good question um, well, that's my that's my big question mark on this upcoming season is do do we get enough this off season to where that's possibility? Because I think he you know he showed in that short playoff run where he was in the bullpen that he can really solidify the back end there. So you might solve two birds with one stone if you get a starter, but it's you know you need to get a quality arm, and I don't think we have that at this point on the market that the Red Sox are willing to purchase. I think that's also contingent on if Tanner Houck can stay with the big club and pitch effectively. I mean, especially the divisional teams that are going to get a lot of looks at him. Toronto, Baltimore even. I mean, they, they had a decent enough offense last year. And, uh, you know, the Yankees, of course, once they start seeing second and third looks at a guy like Tanner Houck, you know, is he still going to be, uh, you know, formidable and, and you know, able to pitch? I mean, because, I mean, let's face it, it's the circle of life. These guys are going to get optioned, you know, at some points. Most of them will. And and so that, that will kind of thin us out even more. So it just kind of depends, I guess, on, um, you know, who's able to stay stay up with the club and 
I think Jay Groom is probably a ways out. I, I don't even know if he'll be up this season. Connor Siebold, part of the Workman deal. So, I mean, two or three years from now, we could be, we could have a young stud rotation, but I just can't, I can't tolerate the the possibility of not being in the playoffs for the third year in a row. So I'm with you there, and I don't know how you feel about, about this kind of situation that the Red Sox have found themselves in where they go, you know, first place, last place, first place, last place. I don't like that cycle. I'd rather be competitive year in and year out, but if that's the price of a title, so be it. Um, you know, I don't think Hulk is going to be the guy long-term to be a front end of the rotation guy. He only gave us 17 innings last season, so we don't know. Um, but he doesn't seem to project that way. He seems to project kind of as a three or four arm in the rotation. What, what I do like is I like that, you know, Bloom seems to at least be acquiring some of these arms because the, the Red Sox have historically had a bad, you know, history of, of drafting guys who end up washing out of the, of the league early as pitchers. I mean, John Lester is the last pitcher to come up from the, you know, from AAA and, and dominate at the big league level for a long period of time. And that's 2007. You know, we're not talking about it being 2015 or, oh, it's been five years since they developed a guy. It's been almost, you know, 14 years and we don't have much to show for it. So I'd really like to see these guys get acquired that are talented and, and then come up and, and be studs. But I also want to see a competitive ball club this season. Yeah, and Lester actually debuted with the big club in, in 07. He was drafted in 2002. So that's how long it's been since we've drafted someone. It's just absolutely insane. So hopefully, um, you know, like you were saying, Heim kind of has a has an eye for this. And obviously they crank out a lot of pitching in Tampa. That Them and Cleveland are the two teams that just develop like you wouldn't believe and. Um, yeah, I mean, Shane Bieber kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, he looked like he had potential, but I didn't know it was going to be like, bam, Cy Young, <laughs> you know? No, I don't think anybody did. Um, and, you know, he came out and pitched. A, there was like a 14-start span there where he was dominant, and everyone, you know, was kind of caught off guard by that. Some of that's got to be your pitching coach, your pitch selection. Obviously, your catcher plays a big role in that. But some of it's just pure talent, and I wish the Red Sox would, you know, find those guys, draft them, draft them, and develop them. Because I feel like we're missing out on those. When was the last time that one of the guys that we brought up showed us something for an extended period of time? The last guy that I remember, you know, counting on was Buckles, and there was like two seasons where Buckles was dominant, and then the next thing you know, he's got six ERA, five ERA, six ERA, two, three years in a row. Um, and now he's out in Arizona, and I don't even know where he is now. He might even not even be in the league at this point. But um, I'd like to see some more depth from our from our farm system come up and, and be contenders uh, for starting jobs. But I don't know if that's going to happen this season. The guy that I am looking at, though, you mentioned Cleveland. I'd, I'd like to see the Sox make a run at, at Brad Hand uh, to solidify the back end of that bullpen. I don't know that they will. I was upset they didn't claim him off waivers at that one-year $10 million mark. Um, but maybe they know something we don't because the rest of baseball also passed on him. So what do you think of that? You know, I don't know if you've discussed that on the show recently, the Brad Hand decision. Yeah, um, there Brad was Hand. an expectation, you know, from most of us that we would be in on him, you know, being fourth on the waiver wire. 
But, you know, like you said, I I don't know why they didn't make a play for him. And I'm, I'm almost wondering if there's like an agreement between the clubs right now that they won't make any major moves. Like they, they have a date in mind when they're going to move forward with this. And I don't know if that's in December. You would think it wouldn't be much later than January because you got pitchers and catchers in February, but, but nobody is making moves. I mean, nothing seems imminent on a guy like Bauer or even, you know, an offensive player like Springer or LeMahieu. And, and you've got teams like the Mets right now who are like, yeah, yeah, we're going to make a huge splash. And, you know, but nobody's, nobody's close to doing it. So, you know, we got the non-tender uh, deadline here on December 2nd. Could be some surprises in there. You know, a lot of Chris Bryant talk out of Chicago. Gary Sanchez, maybe he doesn't get uh, tendered a, a contract. So maybe maybe that's kind of what what teams are looking at right now, and then and then they'll start spending. But you know the virus you know is raging right now, as you know we're seeing in the media, and so I, I don't know if if teams are worried. I, about... I mean, I could definitely see that. I can see teams being worried about not having revenue next season due to reduced fan capacity, at least in in the early stages of the season. Uh, and hopefully ramp up as we get into the summer months. But, you know, guys like Trevor Bauer, Trevor Bauer, not only is he a great pitcher, he's one of those guys who's really good at self-marketing. Um, you know, there's some stats that I, I pulled up on Twitter uh, last week. I was just kind of looking through his Twitter. He was the fourth most searched athlete during the playoffs on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, in, in Major League Baseball, and he wasn't in the playoffs. You know, number one being Mookie Betts, and two was Tatis Jr., and three was Freddie Freeman. Um, as expected, but, you know, this guy is turning into the star, you know, potential face of baseball right before our eyes, and he's sitting there with no team. So I, I think it's it's interesting to see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if teams are kind of waiting to see what happens with this vaccine and with the political transition, um, kind of to see whether they're going to have fans and revenue from that before they make moves. Um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of where that goes. Uh, I want the Red Sox to be in on all of those guys. I don't want them in on the B minus C plus starters. I've had enough of those. I, I want right. to see if you're going to do that. You should have kept Perez. Um, he could have been that guy, that innings eater, bottom of the rotation guy for five million dollars. I want to see a, a top of the line guy because I actually think if you pencil in a healthy Rodriguez and a, and a healthy Chris Sale, one more arm could get you to the playoffs and if that arm is trevor bauer i think you have one of the best rotations in the american league um so i'm interested to kind of see where they go with that yeah sale probably won't be back till the all-star break they're thinking so we somehow need to kind of bridge to that point and you know it'll almost be like we're acquiring an arm at the deadline at that point so Uh, i mean basically that's what you're looking for right is somebody down the stretch run but you got to be in contention before that happens right. right so um, I know you guys had an episode already talking about Blake Snell and what that's going to cost um, somebody to go get, but the news breaking today on on Snell was kind of interesting to me. So I kind of wanted to know what you thought about that, about the fact that people are starting to say that the moment that Brian Cash pulled him in the World Series was the you know the day that he said he was going to move on uh, and that he's already done being a raised a raised pitcher. 
What are your thoughts on that? Does that make sense to you? Because to me, I, I read that and go, yeah, he's a competitive guy. He doesn't want to play for a franchise that doesn't want him, you know, having the ball in the big moments. You know, I didn't see uh, quotes directly from Snell today, but, um, you know, I... Nor did I, nor did I, but the Tampa media was talking about it, and that's what I'm I'm referencing. Uh, I don't think you missed anything big. Yeah, well, immediately after the game, I was really interested to see what Snell had to say, see if he'd be, you know, a little bitter about everything, but he kind of protected his manager, and so yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's any real resentment as far as either side goes there, but nonetheless, they they are looking to trade him, and that's a little surprising because they might not bring back Charlie Morton. So what the hell is their rotation going to be without either guy in it? Um, you know, it's just next year you would think it would be – a great opportunity to see them try for it again because I don't think the Yankees are going to blow us away. I mean, they've got a lot of issues they need to resolve. We've got issues. I mean, I was talking with Andrew privately earlier, or no, maybe it was in the group chat. I'm, I'm like, maybe Toronto could win this division, you know, if they make the right moves. I mean, I think Toronto's young and developing. They're going to get better and better. They're not getting any worse. Uh, you'd think they would run it back in Tampa Bay. They'd be like, you know, we, we came this close. We right. can do it again. That's what I was but, getting at. You know, if, if they already know that Morton's walking away, you think they would, you know, they might reevaluate. I don't know. They're continuously good at bringing in young pitching that turns turns out to be, you know, stud after stud at the top of rotations and, and bullpens. So maybe they have that next guy. I don't know what the Tampa Bay, you know, farm system looks like in all honesty. Um, but it's possible that maybe they think they have the next guy to come in and be, you know, that cheap rookie deal guy for the next four or five years um, at the front end of their rotation. So they might be ready to run it back and we're just not paying attention to it. Uh, or they might just think they already have enough. If they do bring back Morton and they don't end up trading Snell, they might, you know, think they have enough already and don't need another piece. Yeah, or they just think they'll resolve it throughout the season, you know, assuming it's 162. But but this, you know, they're not going to have many opportunities like this where the Yankees aren't looking spectacular, we aren't, you know. So you you would think they'd want to go for it, but it's, it's definitely interesting. And it, it looks like Atlanta could be, you know, a possible dance partner, you know, with Tampa as far as landing Snell. Um, sure. Andrew has thought that maybe Bauer ends up in L.A. with the Dodgers, but you got to think, well, now if, if Snell's on the market, Friedman's out there, you know, there's a connection there, you know, so maybe maybe Snell at three years with the remaining $40 million is is what happens, but... But it's, you know, it's hard to tell, and and you know, it's it's going to be a hall of prospects that that go back to Tampa. So there has to be a team willing to uh, give that up. And we were talking. You know, the team that I think is going to make moves is going to be the Padres. I mean, they already dealt a boatload of prospects last season to get Clevenger. Didn't end up really pitching for them in the playoffs. Um, I see them going to get another piece, but it's not going to be Blake Snell. Um, they're not going to give up that kind of young talent for him. So I'm interested to see kind of where this goes. Um, I don't know yet who's going to make the move for him, but I'd like to see him get out of our division. <laughs> you know, he's a Red Sox. He's a Red Sox killer. So let's hope it's not Toronto. 
they're in the market for another starter after after this season. Um, and if they added Blake Snell, I'd be really worried about them at the top of the division. You know, they have great young talent on their infield. Every single person on their infield's parent was a Hall of Fame, you know, a Hall of Famer. Um, they have some some great young young guys, and their real lack of talent is on the pitching staff. And if they bring in a guy like Blake Snell who could be a leader, I could see them, you know, not only taking the division this year, but I think they'll be a threat for the next two or three seasons uh, if they can continue to build around the young guys in Vladimir Guerrero and um, and that lot. Right. A, a team that just comes to mind right now that could be motivated to acquire a guy like Snell might be the Astros, if you think about it, because they're kind of, I mean, they overperformed. They were one game from the World Series. They still have another year or two left of Grinky. And, you know, maybe maybe Snell fits in there, you know, with McCullers and Grinky and that gives them kind of a shot in the arm to to stay relevant because Verlander's out for the year. And I just, I'm a huge Justin Verlander guy. He's my favorite non-Red Sox player in baseball. and and I, Me as well. Um, I'm also a big Verlander guy. Yeah. Uh, him or Scherzer are two big guys. I think the Astros would be interesting. I'd be intrigued. If I, if I was Snell and the Astros called, I would be very intrigued. Um, you know, I would... Tampa, I don't know if the Astros have the prospects to intrigue Tampa, but if, you know, hypothetically Snell was a free agent, I think that would definitely be somewhere on the top of my list. Um, you got some some good talent there. You've got, uh, say what you will about the trash can thing, um, you have an organization there that knows what they're doing in terms of putting together a roster that can compete. Um, the last five seasons, they've been kind of in it, in the hunt the whole time. Um so I'd be intrigued if I was Snell, and that'd be somewhere that I would put on my list. That being said, I think Lance Lynn is also probably going to move this season. Uh, I don't think he'll go in division to the Astros, but he's another uh, you know guy that teams should have their eye on. Um, they almost traded him at the deadline, and they didn't in, in Texas. Um, so I think Lynn is going to be a, the first of pins to drop, uh, if not the offseason, and definitely at the deadline he'll be one of those big names that comes off the board because the Rangers are not going to make a play for the AL West. Um, I would be interested in him. I was interested in him at the deadline this year anyway, knowing that he had talent coming next season and, you know, with the rotation kind of falling off the wheels there in early August, I was like, you know, bring him in, get him used to Boston. If he doesn't like it or if he can't handle the pressure of playing in Boston, you still have, you know, the off season to ship him out and get him somewhere else. Um, so I would be in on Lance Lynn if he's being dealt out of Texas as well. He could be that. That's a very erratic front office. That's tough to really try to figure out, you know. And um, you just kind of wonder how long Stearns is, or or Daniel, excuse me. I get them mixed up. The Milwaukee GM and the Texas GM. But but um, when Daniel's, um, you know, I just I'm surprised they haven't moved on from him. Quite frankly. Because uh, they, they don't even have a good uh, farm system. In, you know, they don't have a farm system. And I thought for sure that Daniels was going to move him at the deadline. Um, it looked like he was going to be the big arm to go to a contender. A lot of teams seem to be taking this 60-game season and running with it, um, thinking, hey, this might be our shot. In a 162, we don't have a chance. But in, in 60, anyone can do it, right? That's the beauty of baseball is that the best team, you know, usually comes out on top after 162. Um 
but who knows? You know, I don't know what they're doing in Texas. Um, they seem to kind of be in denial of the fact that they're not ready to compete with the range with the uh, Astros for the AL West or or with the Oakland Athletics for that matter. So he'd be a guy that I'd keep my eye on. I would be calling him if I'm high, I'd be calling uh, John Daniels if I'm high bloom, trying to see what that would cost because I actually think Lynn could give you. 180 innings of, of quality pitching as a as a three arm. I don't think he's a top of the rotation guy the way he was being billed as at trade deadline. Um, but I think he would definitely be somebody that I should I would expect Heim Bloom to be in on if he's going to move prospects at all. Yeah, there's definitely some stability there. You know, he's I don't know probably three years off Tommy John something like that. But he's more of a finesse guy. Doesn't really blow you away with his fastball. So. Yeah, he could be definitely just a stable guy to put in, uh, you know, in the rotation there. Another guy who came from Texas, sort of, uh, I think he pitched like one game there last year. Corey Kluber is a name that gets brought up. Coming off of a shoulder issue, that kind of scares me. Uh, so I'm not quite as high on him as as some other people might be. But it, uh, I mean, he has, a, he has the club option uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be really in on him either for the same reasons. I think the one thing that this Red Sox front office, and this is mostly Dombrowski, um, has done is signed guys to extensions that don't need them, a.k.a. Chris Sale, um, that already have injury history or have, you know, you could telegraph a Chris Sale injury at some point down the line with his violent delivery and the way he's built. Um, I would be out on anybody who's not going to contribute right away. Uh, Dombrowski tried to do that with Thornburg. He tried to do that with, uh, there was another guy in that season at the bullpen that he brought in who pitched like, uh, Carson Smith pitched like four games, had a wrist injury, never pitched again for the Sox. Um, I'm, I'm out on those guys. I don't want anybody who's going to come in and not be consistent because the last thing we need is a bunch of dead money. Um, this ownership group is becoming more and more frugal by the day as they look to buy another major league sports franchise. Uh, you know, I don't know what sport that's going to be, but, while they're frugal and spending with the Red Sox, I don't want them wasting money on somebody who's not going to play, you know, at least 115 games out of 162. Or if it's a pitcher, I want them to make 28 starts. Um, that's yeah. just kind of how I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, you know, I, I pointed this out on the last show, but you go back over the course of the last decade, almost every pitcher we've had had serious injuries at some point, you know, sale, price, um, you know, Erod had you know a knee injury for a couple of years before they finally had surgery on it. Um, and even if you go to the bullpen, you have Andrew Miller was hurt for a little while there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's pretty much you know a consistent issue I think with the Sox that the guys that we do have who are big producers uh, either have injury history or are you know not giving us solid innings. I, I'd love to see. I know Rick Porcello wasn't great for us, but. He goes out every every other every fifth day and and puts together six innings. Um, whether those six innings are good or not is like you know sometimes a toss up in the air. But I, I'd like to see more guys who can go out and give you six innings every time instead of these. Let's roll the dice um, and see if he's going to pitch or if he's hurt or is he going to go one and a third and give up seven hits. Um, I just want some consistency. You know, Martin Perez. I thought he was going to be the four guy this season. Now. I'm, who knows where he's going to end up and what he's going to make. 
Um, but I'm not happy about that decision. That's kind of my, my first uh, decision this offseason that I, I don't like is them getting rid of Martin Perez on that $5 million friendly, friendly option. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned Porcello, but I, I think Perez is really, you know, the, he gives you the durability and the, the innings that Porcello does, but he's just, quite frankly, better. It's and better. I can't You're believe they, they didn't pick that option up. I, you know, it, I didn't freak out when it happened because I'm like, oh, well, there's a plan. Obviously, they've got oh, something we're going to go mind. get somebody, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now, nothing, so... Yeah, so it's just yeah, it's it's frustrating, but you know, hopefully ho- hopefully something materializes and and you know, we do get a solid arm in there. Uh just some thoughts on Cora because I didn't really press any of you guys uh specifically on Cora at any point in the process. You know, what were your expectations uh you know, as far as what route they might take to hire a manager. And as Cora kind of became more to the forefront, you know, what, what did you think of it? So everyone on the fan base seems to love bringing back Cora. I don't, I know you don't. Um, I, I've seen it, you know, I've heard it on the show. I've seen it on the guys' social media. Uh, I don't like bringing back Cora for two reasons. One, I think if you're, if you're going to be the ownership group that brings in Heim Bloom, uh, and you force him to instantly trade Mookie Betts, who's the franchise's most beloved player. Um, you're giving him, a, you know, he's starting from behind the eight ball. And then you saddle him with this Alex Cora situation right out of the gate where he has to, you know, then fire the guy. He has to have bring in Roanoke because there's no one left on the market who can manage, um, you know, your three quarters of the way through spring training. And... Then you go into a managerial search. I'm like, okay, we're going to reset. We're going to give Heim the chance to build the team he wants with his manager, and we'll see kind of what happens. Uh, and then ownership, I think, really kind of said, no, you're going to bring back Alex Cora. The fans love Alex Cora, and we need some fans' goodwill because we're not going to spend any money on this team. That's what I fear uh, happened because I think, is Alex Cora a good manager? Yes, I'd say he's a top-five manager in baseball in terms of game scripts. But as far as I'm concerned, the guy cheated. I don't want him on my team. I don't want this to be the the Red Sox to become the Patriots, the next Patriots. I don't want to win the next title and they say, yeah, but you cheated. Uh, I, I don't want to be involved with that. I don't want that legacy on the Sox. So I, I'm not high on Alex Cora. That being said, I think he's definitely going to get the most out of the guys that you have on the roster. Um, he's going to put him in a, in a position to win more games than – most of the guys that got hired after him will. And I think a big part of it is the young guys on the team who are about to be in arbitration years or can opt out, as we were talking about in the group chat earlier, in Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers, they both love Alex Cora. They've made that very clear. Um, so, so there might be something there where the captain, uh, you know, the captain of the infield being Xander Bogarts, you know, goes to the, the ownership group or you know, to someone in the organization that says, you know, we as as players want Alex back. Um, there might be something going on there, in which case I'm behind it. I just don't like saddling Heim Bloom with all this baggage. I'm against it. I, I think it's the wrong way to go. And if you're going to do it that way, you should have just not hired Heim Bloom in the first place. Yeah, it, it's tough to get a read on how that all came together because it didn't it didn't seem like Cora was Heim's guy. You know, and 
No, it didn't seem like it. I thought uh, Sam Feld was going to be the guy, um, and I was behind it. That being said, if, if Alex Cora has Blake Snell on the mound with 70 pitches and he's dealing, he's not taking him out the third time through the order. Right. Um, I and do take that comfort a, in that. You know, yeah. I take comfort in the fact that he's not going to let Hein Bloom tell him, you know, the stats say this, therefore you have to do what I say. Cora is not going to take that, and he has the friends up above Heim that are going to, you know, back him to the hilt, uh, as far as that's concerned. So that gives me a little bit of comfort because I don't want the Red Sox to become even more uh, stats oriented. I don't want to be the next Rays because even if you, even if you're winning, Rays baseball is boring. You know, uh, yeah. this this uh, strikeout, strikeout, walk, solo shot is boring for me, and it's it's not the team that I want to be. So hopefully. Uh, combine the two and, and we have some magic. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the the other thing that will be interesting here is if there's going to be a popularity contest, you know, amongst the fans, they're going to back Cora. They're not going to back Bloom, you know, so. And Cora has the title, you know, and yeah. Bloom doesn't. So yeah. That's, so that's where it's going to end up. It's just another curious. Uh, Reason why that uh, Bloom ended up going with him. I, he was on WEI last week. I want to say, let's see, it might have been last Thursday. And Christian Fourier asked him, "So when did you, when did you make the decision on Cora?" And he said, "Well, it was the night before it was announced, which I think was two Thursdays before that, because it was a Friday morning, I remember." So. Yep. The decision, if you believe what Bloom is saying, you know, came right down to the wire and, and you know, so I don't know. It's just a mess. And, you know, I'm, I wasn't a Dombrowski guy in the end. You know, I think he we're still paying for his mistakes, obviously. But the one thing I, I kind of have to respect is he was fairly transparent. And when he said you know, we need pitching and that's what I'm focusing on. That's what he did. And, and so I, I do kind of respect the straightforwardness. I don't like the, I don't like the political dancing that, that Bloom does. And I, well, uh, the reason that Bloom gets away with it, I think is because the Boston media is eating right out of his hand. And that's what's driving me up the wall about yeah. this whole thing, Terry, is that the Boston media used to have some teeth. It's like you gave him a couple of championships and, and there go the teeth. It's like now, you know, the Sox can do no wrong in this ownership group. Uh, and that's not how I look at it. I think the decision probably was made the night before it was announced. Uh, but I don't think it was made by Heim Bloom. I think it was made by John Henry. I think it was made by Tom Warner. Um, when they got together and said, hey, we want to buy another American sports franchise, but we're not going to spend any money on the Red Sox. You know, how do we sell that to the fan base? Their, their answer was Alex Cora. Um, and so I think there's some political dancing going on, and I think Hein Bloom is kind of being yanked by the, the powers that be in the ownership group to say these things. But the fact that they're treating, you know, whether it, whether it is him that's saying these things or whether it's coming from above him, the fact they're treating Boston sports media and Boston sports fans like this is the Texas Rangers or the Cincinnati Reds or the Miami Marlins. Like there's no fans. Uh, you know, we're passionate and almost every fan who listens to our, uh, this show that you've got going on here thinks they can do Heimdoom's job as well 
as he can, if not better. And so you're not going to just get the lip service and take it. We're not going to sit there and listen to him and say, yes, you're right, thank you, and then he does nothing. Um, it's a more higher-pressure environment than I think he's used to, and I, I hope he lives up to the challenge because I want to see some competitive baseball. Yeah, I think we all do. And, you know, we'll see through the winter. I think the fan base will will hold uh, Bloom accountable, and, and hopefully, you know, we get a little bit more transparency in the future. But, uh, and especially if things blow up, I mean, it's just going to be that much harder for him to, you know, sell us on his, you know, lines of BS. Like, it's just not going to play after a while. But... All right, so I guess you know we'll uh, we'll wrap, but uh, it was certainly good to have you on here. I think the audience uh, already probably has a good you know grasp of where you're going to come from uh, throughout much of the season. You're going to be on the midweek show with Andrew and I. I think you're more on my end of the spectrum uh, than Andrew, so uh, we'll see. Um, but you know, it should, it should be a fun, uh, a fun season. I'm, I'm expecting some great shows. Uh, I hope I didn't, you know, talk over you too much, trying to get the audience to understand, you know, where I'm coming from and who I am, because uh, I like to build a rapport with them. But uh, I'm excited. You know, that's really what it comes down to. I can't wait to talk some soft baseball. Yeah, me either. You know, it's my favorite sport, and this is my nerdy thing and you know and the audience seems to like it it's getting bigger and bigger every year you know there's uh, i normally wouldn't be saying this on the air but we look at the consumption rates uh of each show which tells me how long the you know the listener hangs on for and typically we're we're always in the 70s if not up in the 80s and occasionally we will touch the 90s and I'm extremely happy with that. You know, that's usually at least an hour where we're holding on to them. And and I'm a podcast listener myself of other podcasts. I mean, I listen to a Yankees podcast because I like to hear what the enemy is saying. And um, I never listen to podcasts for that long. Like, no podcast can hold me much more than 50% of it. You know, I'm there for the meat and potatoes, get the gist of it, and and you know and, and move on and but we do so much better you know than that on this show so um so i know it's i know it's working so well let's keep an eye on uh carabas you know i know you said that you're the little fish and uh i hope it's not the same thing for long let's uh let's get section 10 uh engaged and let, let's top section 10 in the next couple of seasons i'm excited i'd love to they're they're getting stale Set over the there bar high yeah Set the bar, set the bar high, and let's do it. If you have any uh, that custom, you know, Yankees merchandise that's in the back <laughs> of your screen when you do those live recordings, I want some of that for my room. Um, and then, you know, maybe we'll have some better decorations for uh, live recordings. Yeah, we're looking to hopefully get into the the YouTube arena. Um, so, you know, maybe that's something we'll discuss later on. But. Uh, but yeah, I this I did this myself. I, you know, just I bought the flag, which I felt dirty. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm buying this. But, <laughs> I but can't I, do this. <laughs> I knew I knew I was going right to the hardware store to get some spray paint after. But still, there it was go. I felt dirty. But yeah, and I did this. This is probably I don't know six or seven years old, something like that. So, 
the paints. Uh, some authenticity. It adds to your uh, show. Yeah. You know? People know where you're coming from when you get on the air. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I have a kind of a big Yankees following on Twitter. And I think the reason for that is I might destroy them, but a lot of them are smart enough to know that all they need to do is wait five seconds and then I'll destroy the Red Sox like I did earlier on the live stream for <laughs> for yep. Jay Happ. And you're not going to hear the Caravas guys, you know, be that candid, you know, do that. No, they're not. They're not. But that's part of what what comes with being that close to the team. Right. They have that. Uh, that kind of soft touch because they want to keep keep their access to the media and to the team and the players and all that stuff. We don't have that, so you don't have to do that. <laughs> you yeah. know, you can come after them and, and be authentic. And I think the fans who listen to the show know that, and especially the fans who follow you on Twitter. Every time I check, you've got a different hater on your Twitter, you know, sending <laughs> yeah. you something that blows up on my feed. I'm like, I don't want to read 20 comments, but in this case, I will. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's very engaging for me um you know my show has some pretty good listeners but we don't necessarily have that engage that high engagement rate yet so um it's exciting to, to talk you know with one fan base i love it um i'm hoping that the fans stick with us through the whole season i'm hoping the season is better because i think the numbers will climb as the season goes on if the team doesn't suck yeah, well, I was talking about our consumption rates and all that, and even though we were a last place team all year long, you know the numbers were robust. So I, I feel good about it either way. And I mean, if we're a good team, then you know, then it's just going to be that much better. You know, I started this like I told you earlier in twenty seventeen, and then I had the benefit of the next year being a championship season and. And we tried to, we set this ambitious goal of, of doing a show at the end of every playoff game. And it just wasn't realistic. I was like a zombie, you know, I was so exhausted, but we did at least at some point. Yeah. We did at least three or four shows per, um, per series. And, uh, you know, it worked out. We were supposed to do one that 18 inning game (laughs) and then, yeah, I guess that one you're like, uh, should we record at 6 a.m. or does somebody have to go to work? I actually, I know you said that. You yeah, I had to go to work. I uh, I didn't even. I don't think I even saw the 18th inning. I had. Well, I heard it on the radio. Is what happened. So, so I think we waited till about 1:30, and then I I told my guys, I'm like, no, we'll just we'll record another night. And that was. I've uh, had a couple of those instances where uh, when I was living abroad the you know the games go into extra innings the games start at 1 a.m right so i had a couple of those i wake up for school at like five and I, and the game is in the eighth inning you know but i sometimes i wake up at like seven and, and the game's still going on the radio i'm like oh sweet i'll listen to this and i end up missing like the first 15 20 minutes of school because i'm like sitting there listening to the game yeah. uh i'm so happy to you know be talking socks with people who get it yeah um, you know, my show, I try to be a little unbiased because I got viewers from every audience, um, but it makes it hard to get passionate, you know, so I'm excited. This is going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I'll cut, I'll cut you loose, Joe, but uh, thanks again. And, uh, you know, we're, we're always in constant contact through the group chat and uh, for sure so- uh, I'm around. Um, let me know ever if you need me for another show or, yeah, you know, what have you I'm around. So. Soon as Appreciate it, Terry, and uh, we'll be in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good night, man. All right, you too.
All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, Job Goddard, new co-host for the Benny and the Bets podcast. Again, he will be on the midweek show with Andrew Dwan and I once the season starts. Throughout the winter, it'll just be a hodgepodge of simply whichever hosts are available to uh, discuss the, you know, recent uh, transactions of the team. So, uh, just kind of expect that for now, but I, I am going to try to get Joe on, uh, you know, as as much as possible, and uh, just kind of see how it all unfolds. So, hope everybody has a good holiday uh, weekend. I'm sure we will not be on until after Thanksgiving at this point. So, be safe, and uh, I'm not a big COVID guy, to be honest with you. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that. But, you know, try to, you know, still take your precautions, but don't let it ruin your holiday either. So take care, everyone.